The Gospel lesson for this morning is not coming from the ninth chapter of Mark. It's going to come from the tenth chapter of Mark. This morning I want to share with you verses 35 through 45. I invite you to stand in reverence to the reading of the Gospel. Mark writes, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it that you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one on your right hand and one at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they replied, we are able. And then Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left does not mind grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. And so Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be a servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you must be a slave to all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. This is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. God. You may be seated. Let us pray together. God, open our hearts and our minds by the inspiration of Your Holy Spirit, that as Your Word is proclaimed on this day, would receive it with joy. Amen. I don't know about you, but uh, when I see the choir move from the choir loft to the chancel rail, I know it's going to be something special. And indeed, it was special. Thank you. This morning, we continue our sermon series looking at the vows that we take when we join the church. Uh, the five things that we promise to do or vow to do when we stand before the church and join it and become a member. Uh, There are also five things that that we as disciples of Jesus Christ should be doing anyways, whether we are a member of the church or not. I will give you a a heads up that at the end of the service today, uh, we have some folks joining the church, and so we'll see this practiced out this morning. And so if you're one of those people who like to mark your hymnal after we finish the hymn, You'll turn to page 48. There's the heads up. We'll see who's listening shortly. So this morning, we're going to continue that series. We've looked at prayers. We've looked at presents. We've looked at gifts. And this morning, we're going to look at service. Now, I don't know about you, but service is one of those words that we throw around a lot. Uh, there are a lot of words that we use each and every day that, that maybe somewhere along the way we've lost the true meaning of. And so there are times when I will come across a word or hear a word, and when I've heard it too much, I'll go back and I'll, I'll look in something called the dictionary. Anybody remember the dictionary? Yeah, it's not Google. I will look in the dictionary. 
and look up that word just to be reminded exactly what it's meant because there's so many words that, that we use today that along the way we've, we've changed their meaning or they've lost their meaning. The word service, if you look it up in Webster's Dictionary, it says that it is a contribution to the welfare of others. A contribution to the welfare of others. Studying this week, I read somewhere that in the Bible, the word serve is used about 289 times, and the word service is used about 87 times, depending on the translation that you're reading. Even if you casually read through the Scriptures, you'll, you'll see and can even conclude that service is a critical part of the journey of faith. Service is a critical part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, our Gospel lesson this morning, the one I read to you, is one of those passages in which the word serve and service show up. It's also one of those passages that when I read it, I have to stop and think that Jesus must have had times when He just shook His head and wondered to Himself, what have I done by choosing these twelve? You ever read the Scripture and thought that? What have I done? You go back and read through the Gospels and, and watch the interaction between Jesus and the disciples there is time and time again when Jesus must have scratched His head and said, what have I done? Choosing these twelve. Today's a prime example. James and John come to Jesus and they, they say, Jesus, we've got a favor to ask. Now, I don't know about you, but when somebody comes to me and says, I have a favor to ask, I automatically kind of put the guard up, right? Usually they're going to ask me something that they already know the answer to or, or they want me to do something that they know I'm probably not going to be able to do or are not going to want to do. But I'm sure Jesus felt the same way. The, 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 the Zebedee boys come to Him and say, hey, we got a favor we need to ask. And Jesus said, well, what is that favor? I'll, I'll see what I can do. And they say, well, you know what? Jesus, when you come into Your glory, when, when you take over power, how about letting one of us sit at Your right hand and one of us sit at Your left hand? Or how about... Let's frame it in today's terms. When you come into power, how about letting us have a little bit of the power too? It's interesting. I'm sure that Jesus shook His head. If you look back at the passage that I put in the Scripture today in the bulletin, chapter 9, which is only a chapter back, you go and see that Jesus had just had the discussion with them. The disciples had been kind of fighting amongst themselves, asking, who's the greatest? And Jesus sits them down and said, You've got to be a servant. It's not the only place we see it either. Uh, that, that conversation about who's number one, that conversation about being the center of attention is found in, in two other Gospels. Matthew has a version of this same story. You remember in Matthew's Gospel, who's the one who asks the favor of Jesus? It's not James and John. Do you remember who it is? It's their mother. Right, their mother comes to Jesus and says, how about letting my boys be... You're two top guys, right? And then, and then in Luke's Gospel, it's all the disciples fighting again. They're, they're trying to, to figure out which one's the best and the greatest. And, and Luke writes, a dispute broke out amongst them. Which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest? Now here's the interesting thing. In, in all three of the Gospel uh, variations of this story, Jesus answers the same way. Whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant. And the Son of God came not to be served, but to serve. 
Now, we all know people who probably are a lot like James and John. Maybe we're even like James and John sometimes. Maybe there's been those seasons in our lives where we wanted to be the center of attention. We know people like that, don't we? Always want to be the center of attention, even if the attention should be focused on someone or someone else. People who care only about their needs and not the needs of the people around them. People who get jealous because someone else is honored and they're not, even though they did nothing to be honored for. Self-centeredness is, is a theme in our society, in our world today. But it shouldn't be a theme in a church today. It shouldn't be a theme for us who call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ because Jesus calls us not to focus on self. Jesus calls us to serve others. So in Jesus' world, if, if, if you want to do great things... doesn't have to be center stage. You don't have to be the best. If you want to do something great for Jesus, all you need is a servant's heart. A servant's heart. A heart which routinely wants to serve Jesus wherever He needs you. However mundane the need or routine the task. Gil Irwin in the book, The Jesus Style, writes these words about servanthood. A servant's job is to do all he or she can to make life better for others. To free them to be everything that they can be. A servant's first interest is not in himself or herself. A servant's first interest is in others. Servanthood is a loving choice we make to minister to others. Did you get that? Servanthood is a loving choice we make to minister to others. So if servanthood, if having a servant's heart is so important to, to being uh, a disciple of Jesus Christ, since it's so important to, to live in our lives of faith, then how do we know if we've got a servant's heart? Is there a test we can take or are there things that we can, can say that this is a servant's heart? This is what should show up in someone that has a servant's heart. I think there are. I think there are things. So I want to share a couple of things that I think a servant's heart has. If you have a servant's heart, you accept that it's not about you. If you have a servant's heart, you feel an emotional tug when there is a real need out there. If you have a servant's heart, a regular prayer is that God would point you to where you need to be serving. To have a servant's heart. It means that you readily allow others to get the credit. To have a servant's heart means you don't complain about doing the mundane grunt work. If you have a servant's heart, you always want the credit to go to Jesus, not to you. If you have a servant's heart, you tend to, to volunteer when and where others don't. If you have a servant's heart, you don't stew when leaders don't call you by name for recognition. If you have a servant's heart, you feel blessed that God gives you opportunities each day to serve. Here's the last thing, if you've got a servant's heart, you glow with joy 
when a person is served and something good is done. Richard Foster is a great theologian and Christian writer. He tells the story of getting a phone call one morning from a friend, a close friend. And the close friend says, Richard, uh, my wife took our only car, our other one's in the shop, and, and there are some things that I need to get done today, some errands that, that I have to do today. And I wondered if you might have some time to, to take me on those errands. I, I promise you it won't take all day, but, but it would be great if you could just, just take me around town to, 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 to take care of those errands. Richard Foster says that at that point in time, he said, I had a lot of things going on. He said, I had college classes that I was teaching and, and I need to prepare for all that. And he said, I had my own list of things that I needed to get done that day. I really didn't have time for my friend that day. He said, but I, 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 I agreed. He said, and as I walked out the door, I grabbed the, my car keys and I grabbed my wallet. And he said, I grabbed a book that I had been reading. The book was Life Together by Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Foster said, I picked up my friend and we began to, to go around to uh, all the places he needed to stop to do his errands. And he said, my plan was that when he went in somewhere, I was just going to sit in the car and read my book. He said, and that didn't happen at all. And he said, I looked and, and most of the day was gone and we were still running errands, but we got to the last stop. He said, and I, I had a few minutes while my friend went inside to read my book. He said, so I, I just opened the book up. Again, life together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said, and, and this is what jumped off the pages. He said, the second service that one should perform for another in a Christian community is that of active helpfulness. This means simple assistance in trifling external matters. There are a multitude of these wherever people live together. No one is too good for service. One who worries about the loss of time that such petty outward acts of helpless, helpfulness entail is usually taking the importance of his own career too solemnly. Richard Foster went on to write many books, but one book is called The Celebration of Discipline. And in that, he has different chapters about different disciplines that we as Christians should have in place in our lives. And, and one discipline that he, he writes about is the discipline of service. And this is what Richard Foster says about true service. He says, self-righteous service comes from human effort. True service comes from a relationship with the divine. Self-righteous service is impressed with the big deal. True service finds it almost impossible to distinguish the small from the large service. Self-righteous service requires external rewards. True service rests content in hiddenness. Self-righteous service is highly concerned about results. True service is free of the need to calculate results. Self-righteous service picks and chooses whom they serve. True service is indiscriminate in its ministry. Self-righteous service is affected by moods and whims. True service ministers simply and faithfully because there is a need. Self-righteous service is temporary. True service is a lifestyle. 
Self-righteous service is without sensitivity. It insists on meeting the need even when to do so would be destructive. True service can withhold the service as freely as perform it. Self-righteous service fractures community. True service, on the other hand, builds community. I don't know about you, but I look around the world today. And we need some more people with servant hearts. We need some more people who are willing to live out their faith. No matter what the need. Whoever wants to be the greatest among you must be a servant. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. So should it be with us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.